This show is sponsored by Metastock, which is, in our opinion, the most comprehensive market analysis tool available and allows you to analyze any market, comparing trends, identifying hidden correlations, and allowing you to basically have the equivalent of Reuters Icon or the Bloomberg Terminal at a fraction of the price. What is it exactly? Well, it's a real-time news source with split-second economic releases and analysis, putting you as close as you can get to emerging trends in real time. Best of all, Metastock is easy to use. It's simple to construct a workspace, add charts and assets and news feeds, all with a few clicks. Even better, we have a special deal our listeners can get that is not available elsewhere, where you can get three months for the price of one, and then a great discount if you want to continue to become a subscriber full-time. Simply click the link in the show notes to find out more, or go to www.metastock.com forward slash Vespa EK three for one. And that's all spelled out except for the numbers three and one. Hello and greetings. My name is Lucas Ginello, and I'm honored to welcome you to episode number four of the Vespa Capital podcast, where we find the smartest investors, entrepreneurs, hedge fund managers, traders, people who are outstanding in the world of finance and investing and waterboard, I mean, interview them on what made them successful so you can shorten your development curve to becoming better at managing money and growing your wealth. Today, Vespa Capital co-founder John DeVette is speaking with a chap by the name of Michael Berman. Mike is currently the CEO of online emerging money management incubator platform called Psyquasion. And before that, he's had a string of accomplishments behind him, such as managing a hedge fund for more than a decade, being a director of a public company when he was in his 20s. He's worked for a number of leading South African investment banks as well. Mike has a Bachelor of Commerce, a Master's of Science, and a PhD in Economics Behavioral Finance. Now, in the interests of full disclosure, but also to tell you a bit about Michael's current company, we started working with Psyquasion recently when we realized how important it was to ensure we were keeping an eye on the total and historical real-time risk exposure on a FESPA capital. In brief, Psyquasion takes traders' goals and provides live feedback on how their strategy is faring against those stated goals. Everything from style drift to exposure to, in our world, portfolio risk. Mike's business is now moving into fund allocation and aids fund managers in allocating their capital based on behavioral and quantitative performance of traders in the Psyquasion pool. I won't go into the metrics and so forth here, but I will say that it's the most impressive thing we've found by far, and it's really opened our eyes to managing risk effectively and to ensure that we're putting together a fund that is going to weather choppy markets and ultimately be successful in the long term. In this episode, John and Mike touch on things like different trading styles and which ones in particular that Psyquation deals with, the differences between retail or home traders uh, versus professional traders, uh, technology uh, used in trading and where it's going, the biometric feedback that Mike's currently working on, which is very exciting, conventional wisdom versus what the evidence shows you have to be to be profitable. And they also speak about the Psyquation business and what it does specifically to help traders. So without any further ado, I present Vespa Capital's Michael Berman interview. Okay, guys and girls, welcome to the Vespa Capital podcast. Really great to have you here. We've got a fantastic person on the show, uh, someone who's been very um, kind of in- instrumental in providing us with some advice, uh, as a, both as a fund and um, in terms of vetting traders and what to look for in, in the industry itself. Now, Michael Berman is our guest today. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Great to have you here. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. Perfect, perfect. Look, I just thought we'd kick it off. Um, I mean, Michael's, uh, the, the kind of reason we got in touch with Michael is because of his new startup, Psyquasion, 
Um, and I'll just ask you, Michael, what's the uh, what's been your journey to this point, and what actually led you to start Psyquasion? Jonathan, that's a loaded question, yeah. and there's a lot to unpack with that. So um, you might need to sit back. It, it, it's not a story <laughs> that came up overnight, but sure. I, I think the first thing I'd like just to comment on, it's quite interesting that we have two ex-South Africans here. I'm not sure. <laughs> How long you've been in, in living in Australia? But I've been. This is almost my. I'm almost nine years. So I think you've been here a little longer than me. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've been here since about '89. So I came over when I was about six years old. So wow. uh, yeah, but I, I get back as much as I can. Still love the place. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I, I just want to add to that, um, that that rivalry between. I know you're based in Melbourne, and yeah. I'm in Sydney. So today is an absolute glorious day. It's five o'clock, just <laughs> after five p.m., and um, I'm actually straight after this podcast. I'm going to go and have a surf in the glorious sunshine. So <laughs> I thought I'd rub that in. Yeah, and, thanks, and thanks, Mark. Because I'm I'm here freezing with the heater <laughs> on still. It's not quite summer here in Melbourne just yet. <laughs> okay. Well, um. So let me, go, let me go back to the beginning. I'm going to go back quite a far away to when I was mm. 13 because, um, you know, being Jewish, 13's the rite of passage year for a Jewish boy becoming a man. And uh, typical, typically what happened in, in my case is I, I received for a 13-year-old quite a lot of money uh, for my bar mitzvah. And um, my trading career actually started then because my mother was the trader in the family. My father was an industrialist working in in industry, and um, my mother had a had a knack for the markets. Okay. And she, I, I recall my very first share that I bought. It was a company called Samanco, which was a manganese mine, and uh, I don't know. I, I did really well, and I was I was hooked. So basically, throughout my high school, I was dabbling in the market. So that gave an inkling to my career that would land up eventually being in the markets. But sure. I did take a, I did take a little bit of a, a circuitous route to get to where I'm at right now. And I think I'll just, if that's okay with you. I'll just give you some, I'll give you the full. Sure, sure uh, Michael, thanks. Go for it. Uh, so basically I was, I was at, uni I was at university studying a master's degree. I was doing it part time and, um, I was actually working for my dad at that time and in the, in the air conditioning automotive industry. And I, I, this is in 96, 1996. And I came up with this idea. I saw a movie by the, by the actress Sandra Bullock and it was called the net. Okay. And back in 96, I got hooked on the idea that the internet is going to make a, a major difference to the world and I, I wanted to be a part of it and I started South Africa's first online grocery delivery service. Okay. The company's called Mixum and um, so I think that also spoke to my entrepreneurial spirit and, and interest and flair and the company didn't work out. I, I managed to um, get some significant investors on board and we, we were growing the business but at that stage, I got engaged to get married. I was 23, I think. And I just had this vision that it was going to take a long time before we were profitable. So sure. I decided to throw it in. But I, I, I thought I'd mention that just because I guess the, the entrepreneurial spirit was there already. Um, yeah. In, 
20s and it actually started before then but I won't bore you guys with the details but I went on started a career in in property and did really well working for a number of investment banks and climbing the corporate ladder as such and uh, as you mentioned in the, in the intro I was fortunate enough to become a, a director of a public company that's gone on to do bigger and better things and still you know is now listed on the on the London Stock Exchange, it's called Redefine International. And um, anyway, um, sure. while while I was doing all of that, uh, I had this I had this notion that we we were in the property market, and and that eventually things would turn because the property cycle is very closely correlated to the interest rate cycle. And and I thought, you know. We we are a public company and we're doing really well now, but we're under pressure to always incre increase our earnings. And what's going to happen when the interest rate cycle turns? Little did yeah. I know back in in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, that we're in this major secular bull um, bond market, and that interest rates were actually going to come down even further. So, um, and it's been a very very long cycle. But I, I, I became nervous that that we would be under pressure and interest rates would turn. So I, I thought of this idea of setting up a, a a long short hedge fund in the real estate space. And basically that's when I became a full-time trader back in 2002 and I ran a fund. Um, I've been, a, I then went on to run some prop money and basically been doing it ever since. But fast forward with uh, over a decade, I'm um, coming to Australia. I, I came to Australia and I was trading some prop capital. For those who aren't familiar with prop cap, uh, proprietary capital, so I was trading some of my own capital and another wealthy individual who who had given me some money to manage for him. And the GFC struck here in um, we came end of two thousand and seven. So I, I was fortunate. I was short the market, and I was leveraged short. So I I, I did really well. And while everyone was was crying and burning um things were pretty good for me so yeah, um, awesome. they, they don't call me michael berman they call me michael bearman um that's <laughs> because i'm this perennial bear um always thinking the world's coming to an end so anyway uh, i'll just fast forward from there how we actually get to psychoasion what happened was I, I met a couple of well-to-do businessmen here in, in australia and we started we started manage. I started managing some of their money, and I, I, I said after a while, the one guy in particular who who runs a stock brokerage business um, didn't have a very methodical process in terms of his allocations. He he looked at at a lot of interesting traders who came his way, and he would allocate money to them pretty much on a gut feel basis, and. I wanted to introduce some more process and help him along the way, which I did. And we put sure. in a, a, you know, a more, a more rigorous investment committee process and, and, and more due diligence, but, and more systematic approach to the allocation of money. And while I was doing this, I, I had a team of quants that were based in the Ukraine, two mathematicians, two PhDs in maths, um, Vladimir Kruglov and Eugene Olin. And, um, They'd been working with me, or they'd been working at that stage for me for a number of years, and we we came up with this idea of creating an online incubation platform for traders, and companies called Rapper, and our point of difference was that we would 
allocate money to traders if they scored a reasonably high score according to our algorithm, which for without using fancy words, it was a super duper sharp ratio. Pretty complex. Sure. We're very proud of the, that particular wrapper score. Um, uh, it's a multi-factor model. I don't want to go into to too much detail on the technical side. It might bore your guests to tears, no. but 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 it, it was definitely a a metric that had value in identifying um, traders and their ability to continue to produce returns. So while we were running wrapper, we launched some funds and and we had the opportunity to um, to learn a lot about the industry and see thousands and thousands of traders equity curves and do further research and we were approached by an American firm that was looking to that a, a very similar idea to what ours was but they lacked the technology and what we decided to do was give them a white label to our product and um, we took equity in that business and that freed me up to go and do something else I wanted to do. So the idea for Psyquasion came along when a very large brokerage firm approached us during my rapper days and said, you know, could you make our traders profitable? And we we said, no, we can't, because if we could make your traders profitable, especially given the, the industry, how hard it is to make money trading the FX markets, you know, we wouldn't be giving it to you. We'd be printing money ourselves. But I thought about it and I came back to them and I said, while we can't make your traders profitable, we definitely can make your traders more profitable. And the reason I, I said we could do that is by identifying where your traders make mistakes. And if we are able to eliminate as many mistakes as possible, we'll be able to deliver on our thesis that by eliminating mistakes, you'll be more profitable. So that was the genesis of Psyquasion. And uh, Psyquasion stands for psychology and equations I, I take care of let's call it the psychology side of the of the analysis whereas my colleague vlad who was my partner at rapper has come across and the two of us co-founded the business and he is a, a phd in maths and he handles the equations so the two of us have worked together for now six years work really well together and we now have a company called Psyquasion, which its main purpose for for existence is to make traders more profitable. And we are able to do that, we believe, by identifying where traders make mistakes. And oh, fan fantastic, Mike. That's it's fascinating stuff, you know, and I think you touched on a few points there, you know. Um, the first thing being that movie, The Net. I still remember yeah. that film because uh, as a kid, I had a hell of a crush on Sandra Bullock. Um, yeah. But uh, I still remember she ordered a, a pizza. That's it. That's online, it. and I, I remember my old man, my dad, saying to me, "That'll never happen." <laughs> what is this movie? You know, and um, it's it's fascinating just to see where the world's come. You know, in, in actually a very short period of time. Uh, yeah. And obviously, the other thing you mentioned there was when to get out. You you were talking yeah. about your first online business, you know. And yes. I think that touches on quite a few um, issues that retail traders or investors touch on. You know, yeah. the the entry is less important than the exit. Yeah. And the last thing I'll touch on there very quickly, you know, you talk talk about being a bear during the GFC, Michael Behrman, you mm. know. I think yeah. all these elements I've just mentioned is the key thing here is foresight, okay? Yeah. You having the foresight to really see these kind of demographic changes, these industry changes, or what's kind of happening in the future. Now, when we bring that back to Psyquasion, 
with mm-hmm. all the thousands of traders you've seen over the years through Rapper and, and all your experiences, yes. what are some of the key findings for people managing money or trading or investing that you think perhaps from a behavioral perspective or even a quantitative perspective um, that some of our listeners can take away? The first bit of advice I always give to people, which I think so few people realize how important this is, is you need to stay in the game. And um, people have such a short-term focus and they don't realize how you could have a good trading system, but it could be a good system in a certain market condition. Now, if you go too hard with that particular strategy in the wrong conditions, you're never going to be around to reap the rewards and profits when the market is favorable to your trading strategy. So one of the bits of advice I always try and say to people is just make sure you're around for tomorrow because if you're not around tomorrow, you're never going to be able to to you know achieve any of your goals. So that, that, that's the first one. But I really, you know, you asked that, that, that's an interesting question, and I'm I, I'm you, I'm going to give it to you in terms of a talk that I actually recently gave for a Bloomberg audience in Singapore, and I gave the same talk. Um, um, to an audience in, in, in Sydney as well, a Bloomberg audience. And um, it, the talk is called An Uncomfortable Truth Facing Your Trading Demons. And if you look at the statistics, according to our database of traders, and we've got thousands and thousands of accounts in our, and our, our database incorporates now close to, I think, 20 million trades. So yeah. it's a pretty decent representation of the Forex trading market. And it, it incorporates as well, uh, it's a 60%, I would say, retail database with about 40% professional money managers. So it's a very good, uh, I think, broad representation of the industry. Now, our stats say that 80% of traders blow up within six months. Blow up is a strong term. So yeah. I'm using it for effect because it blow up could also mean that you stop trading at a 0% loss. But essentially, if you want to know the actual number, the, the, the net, the net um, return for the whole database is minus 35%. Yeah. So, so it, it is really tough. So if you think about it, wearing an academic's hat, I was saying to myself and I was saying to the audience, if if you're going into a industry or an, into a market where, on average, you should expect to to lose, because let, let me unpack this also a little bit further. If you if you're trading forex, it's a zero sum game. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. But if you, it's actually got negative expectancy because if it's a zero sum game, somebody's winning, somebody's losing, and then you factor in the transaction costs. There's yeah. a net negative there's friction to your uh, to the to the zero and that means on average you should expect structurally on average that you would lose money trading the forex market now yeah. you and i are in this game and you would think well wh- why would anyone trade but um it's a very active industry and there's a lot of profits to be made so clearly there's there's a reason why people want to trade and why they get out of bed and invest and I can put it down to one simple quality or one simple idea. My thesis is overconfidence. Yeah, and okay. It, it, essentially, everyone believes that they, their skills are better than they really are. 
it's an that is an uncomfortable truth i'm sorry to say to you and to your listeners but yeah. i think it's important to recognize that this that trading is a difficult game and you are you stacked against the odds um but it's not to say you can't be profitable it's just you got to you need to recognize the fact that trading is not going to be profitable for the average it's yeah. not and if you accept that and and work towards refining your strategies and and respecting the markets you have a much better chance of being successful yeah ab- absolutely it's interesting on that i mean we've um used psyquasion already with building our fund where we've managed to um, identify areas of over leverage uh, you know, martingaling and that kind of overconfidence, particularly with some of our discretionary traders. And I think for me, Psyquasion allows you to see that occurring before you would normally realize it's occurring, whether it's yep. in your own trading or whether it's in traders you're managing or allocating to, um, which is which is fascinating stuff. And I must, I'll, I'll ask you, um, just you mentioned something interesting there, Michael. It's a zero-sum game. And then you add transaction drag, you know, overall, there's a negative kind of expectancy. Yes. Um, given that we're in a, you know, a, we're coming into a, a global growth that's um, looking to be a lot lower than, than we've seen mm-hmm. in the past. Central banks are all at uh, record lows and there seems to be a kind of race to the bottom, particularly yes. with some of the QE stuff that's going on across the world. Um where where do you think investing for our generation will will land up? You know, because obviously they've we our generation has to become better at either trading or various asset classes. Or is there you know a robust yep. portfolio they should be building? It, it seems a lot tougher these days than it was in the past. You know, to generate yield. Absolutely. So I mean, first off, just to give a like a, a global macro. Or, or my perspective, and clearly I'll be in the minority in this regard. But you know, as an Aust- as let me call it as a minor scholar of the Austrian school of economics, yeah. uh, all this QE and government intervention, you, in my opinion, is screwing up, or has screwed up the markets, and has probably screwed up the future retirements of many, many. Um, People, it's going to be it's going to be felt for decades and generations to come. In my opinion, what the irresponsibility, well, the recklessness that's currently taking place from central yeah. banks through governments, and I, I, I'm actually quite angry about it because bankers who who were the let's say the architects of the the meltdown are not only not facing any consequences but they're actually being rewarded and are prospering from the bailouts that have followed and and that doesn't feel right so no. uh, call me call me angry with with regards to that but you raise a uh, you know what's going to happen because we had ultra low interest rates and we could be at this point for a long time to come so you know there's a great there's a great um market strategist economist and i, I would call him author as well James Rickard, um, yeah. who, who's written a book called Currency Wars and a number of others. He's actually got a new one coming out. I can't remember the name, but um, that's coming to the markets very shortly. But I, I would say like this is that we are definitely going to be experiencing a very interesting um, currency dislocations around the globe. And while I'd like to say to everyone, yeah, become – currency experts and and traders and and all that I don't, you know that would be reckless 
also because um, it's it's not designed um, for for everyone to make money like that. Yeah. Well, and let me say like that. It's it's it, let me rephrase that. It's it's really difficult to actually pick the the near term trends and 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 you know do you have any edge in terms of identifying where the market's going in the currency world or in any of the of the the markets for that matter. All I can say to you and your listeners would be that don't expect more of the same. I think you've got to expect that there are going to be big pockets of volatility. I think people who are stuck in the old ways of investing are probably going to get burnt to a crisp and really hurt their portfolios. I think people need to be open-minded in terms of alternative investments. Um, Yeah, a bull market that we've just currently witnessed, let's call it in the Dow and S&P 500, and across other um, global stock exchanges, it has led to complacency. People forget about hedging towards the downside when it's a bull market. Um, the, what's that saying goes? The rising tide, you know, floats all ships, and mm. and so and so on. So, uh, I, I, if I could leave everyone with one word of caution, the bearman says, expect volatility. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, it's interesting, Michael. I think we've seen that just you know recently. We've had. A few months ago, we had the the BOJ spikes going on in yes. you know in 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 many of the asset classes, equities as well as FX. We had the sterling, the pound crash, um, and I mean these are all uh, you know elements of the market that seem to be happening more and more. And uh, coming back to your key findings, you know, over leverage, overconfidence, right? And I think it, it doesn't matter what market you're in. If you're over leveraging and you've you've got a sense of overconfidence, even if you're you know you're a billion dollar hedge fund manager, those kind of elements will inevitably lead to um to pain, yes. <laughs> Un- unfortunately. Um, but I guess coming back to your business, Psyquasion, yes. uh, Psyquasion is is taking what has been a, a market where ninety five or or so percent of retail traders fail. And it's actually giving them foresight into how their trading is is happening in real time, and um, yes. I'm I'm absolutely loving it so far. Um, on on the traders themselves that are making money, have you have you found that any trading styles lead to more success than others? Whether it's fundamentals, technicals, short term, long term, or um, if I can go unpack it even in, even deeper, whether certain personality types tend to fare better in this market. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I I think there's some encouragement for all sorts out there. I I don't think there's any one particular um, style or strategy that is the only one that will make money in the markets. What what I think you can you can appreciate is that people who are discretionary and are good discretionary traders typically are making money, and yeah, they'll go through their pockets of difficulty, but by and large. The market hasn't shifted to the extreme that you can say, well, look, if you're not trading a systematic strategy, you've got no chance of making money. I don't believe that. Uh, so once again, I think it comes back to more the, about the person and their approach to money management and their approach to deploying their strategy. If you're, you know, if you're running a systematic strategy and you are, let, let's say you are extremely dependent on speed, yes, if you don't have good systems with great speed you, you just got no chance of competing against other players who are who are trading for speed so yeah. 
if if if, if speed's your game and you and you got an edge, then you can you know you can win at that. And if speed's not your game, if you're a longer term trader, you position yourself accordingly. That if you're wrong, it's not the end of the world, and that you live to fight another day. Um, you can make money that way. So I, I, I'm being very general in it because I think what I'm seeing is across the board, it, it's many different kinds of strategies are guys that are making money. But I do want to just add because I, th- I think I, f- I feel like I owe, I owe it to the the retail public, let's call it that, that they should realize that Martingale strategies per se yeah. And let me just let me just explain what a Martingale strategy is for sure. you and your listeners. When you put on a trade and let's say it moves against you, you double up and you keep doubling up. As the trade goes against you, you keep doubling up your positions until such time as the market eventually moves in your favor and you make a small profit. These kind of the strategies create this illusion of control. And it's very easy to start off with, let's say, a, a point – a micro lot with trading one micro lot and then but before you realize it if things move in a in a strong way against you and you keep doubling up you will eventually mathematically there's a it's a mathematical certainty you have a finite amount of capital in your account you will eventually run out of money and you'll have this massive position on and if it goes a tiny bit against you when you've loaded up to the full, you you can be blown up. So what happens typically is Martingale strategies are very alluring to the investor because nine out of ten times at an end of day kind of level, the Martingale traders are profitable. So it's it like just feeds that ego. You yeah. you keep um, stroking your ego that you're making profitable trades. Except for the one time or the, the 10% of times that you don't, you actually blow the whole bloody account up yeah. and and you feel like a real, um, I was going to use a strong word, but you feel like a real idiot. Yeah. So I don't want to say that Martingale on its own is bad, but a form of Martingale, you still need an edge. If, if Martingale is your edge, um, you will blow up. And yeah. you won't make money. And I've got the statistics to prove it. I'll just leave you with these statistics that according to our database, the median return of our traders who don't trade with Martingale is they lose 15% because we know that on average, most people lose. So they lose yeah. 15% if you don't trade with Martingale. Yeah. The ones that actually trade with Martingale, the average loss is 60%. Yeah. So it's four times on average, you do four times as badly overall if you trade with a Martingale than if you don't. So I, I'm just uh, – once again, I don't want to be this guy, on this crazy guy in the industry bagging Martingale, but it is highly dangerous. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, Michael. I mean that some of the work we did with Vespa Capital early, early in the day, you know, it's so tempting to allocate at times to these yeah. strategies because they've got these vanity curves. And I'm sure many of our yeah. listeners have seen, you know, wow, that's like the curve just, it's this perfect curve. It just keeps rising. And I have to say, um, a few of the trading teams that we were vetting early, early in the piece have blown yeah. up since, you know, it was, yeah. it was either the sterling, um, the sterling move, or it was, yeah. you know, just a minor economic report that they were way over leveraged on um, or ultimately the you know you can only double up so many times before your entire account balance is down is gone uh, you know is, yeah. is there time for a quick story on martingale and, and one of my silly um, 
names will things will remain nameless. But <laughs> there was a particular um, martingale trader who who really marketed himself exceptionally well, and um, his whole approach was these baskets of currencies, and he would have four groups of different baskets of currencies, and he would say you should put 25% in each, and so that you've spread your risk, and, and you can never lose more than 25% in all this. And then he came with all these fancy mathematical um, stories why he's um, got the, an edge, etc., etc. And I was very skeptical, followed him for one and a half years, and maybe... He was only showing me one account out of many because I was hearing stories that um, he, many of his clients had blow, had accounts that blew up and all the rest of it. So we said, you know what, we, we're going to allocate 1% of our fund to him. But because he his returns were so interesting, we decided to do it with leverage. So we're allocating 1% of our capital, but um, with, with leverage. Now, I don't need to explain it, and we had, I think, if I, I, the number escapes me, but let's call it, we were, we were trading, we were trading 10 times what he, what his baseline was. So we wanted to trade it with, 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 um, a lot more leverage. Yeah. Now, before we knew it, um, I don't know if we had put the, the correct limits on, um, on our account, um, thresholds to, to avoid, um, getting excessive leverage and all those kind of things. Before we knew it, his baseline account had already, um, um, I don't know, had gone to, let's say, uh, it was about four or five trades. But if you're looking with exponential multiplications, etc., before we knew it, we had 300 lots open oh. on the Kiwi. And it was a massive position, yeah. which we landed up having to cut at a, at a bad time. But we realized very quickly all our alerts were eventually going off. We didn't have like a system threshold in the system, in the actual trading execution. But but our, our analytic tools, many of which are, are, are in terms of our risk measures are being applied within the, the Sarquasian software. And before we knew it, we had this massive loss. And I can assure you it was more than 1% of the, the fund in the end. So we thought, oh, we were very clever. Martingale is is really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, Michael. I mean, it, it's interesting, and the the more volume that's involved, you know, as these strategies play themselves out, the the more chance there is of of massive slippage of yes. all all kinds of things that you encounter with with increased volume as well. And coming back to Sarquasian, you know, when you're trading. Winning a lot makes you feel like you've got you've got it. You know you've nailed yes. it. You know you've got the market. I've got it. I know it now. I can I can this this will be my life. I'll make millions. Okay. Yeah. Um. But the problem is, eventually you get the downside with those kind of strategies. And ultimately, for for me, the many of the most successful strategies and traders and investors I've seen in the past are the ones that are able to take loss after loss after loss, but minimize yeah. the leverage and minimize the loss so that when they do hit it on the head, you know, get hit the nail on the head, they, they get that hell of a big winner, you know, that, that pays pays the salary for that year, as an example. It, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, and people got to realize you've got to be in it for the long haul because that big one that comes and cleans up all the, those losses 
you're not going to get that big one if you're not in the game. So, it, you, you know, if I, I think it comes back also to due diligence and maybe some naivety and um, maybe lying to yourself. You, you think, okay, um, I'm going to give up my day job and I'm going to become a full-time trader. And you say, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just going to take this as a number. You, you stick, you say, I'm going to stick a hundred thousand dollars into um, my trading account, and, and I'm going to make a hundred percent return. My target is to make a hundred percent return because I need a hundred thousand dollars to live, and, and, and you think, okay, yeah, I can make a hundred percent return, and all, and off you go. And then what happens is you have a crummy start. Let's say you're losing, or let's not even say you're not losing. You're just not making money. Yeah. Suddenly, you to live, you need to dip into your capital, and everything just goes out. All common sense goes out the window, and you become reckless. And now you've 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 drawn you've drawn down on your hundred thousand. You're down to seventy because you needed thirty to pay some bills, and now you need to make a lot more than a hundred percent to make that hundred thousand. And so the story goes. So you know. If you go, a lot of the failure, in my opinion, is just the, having the wrong goals yeah. and being unrealistic. If you if you set unrealistic goals, you're almost destined for failure um, from the start. And you know, with the Sarquasian software, that we we require you to make two. There are two inputs that you make into the software. That's all you have to do for for it to kick into action. And the one is, what is your goal? And if when you when you log into the the Sarquasian software for the first time, it asks you what is your goal, and it won't let you go forward until you tick three boxes. And those boxes are designed to try and bring some reality into your into your framework. So mm. it kind of calibrates what your goal is against our database, and we kind of say, oh, do you do you do you think you are in the top one percent or the top five percent of traders? over the last five years and you know if you've never traded before and you tick that as your goal that's clearly been unrealistic and you've probably just set yourself up for failure already so yeah anyway i guess i should just say there were two parameters i said one was was what's your goal the other one is what you prepare to lose and those are the only two things that you required to make this equation software um kick into life I don't know. I don't know how we're doing for time, but I, I I was wondering if I could just share with you one of the new, let's call them business developments that we are um, launching within Sarquasian. Yeah, I'll go uh, for it, Michael. We've still got time for sure. Please. Okay. So there the are two things I wanted to share with you in terms of I w- I'd like to discuss our allocations business and um, and then I'll, I'll I'll touch on where I think the future may be in terms of some new and funky ideas that we're working on. But just to kick off, we we are providing a platform for, for guys such as yourself, for businesses as yourself, for, to enable you as, a, as an investor to have the best tools at your disposal to make, um, to make allocation decisions. And, and basically, what, what we're working on, we're going to launch it, we, we've announced it, but we'll be launching it soon, is a new Sarquasian score. And, and basically what this is going to be is a filter for allocators and for the traders themselves if they want to see what a independent third party believes their trading is like. The, the idea behind it is to simply score skill and 
The question is, how do you define skill? And what we wanted to do is really empower people um, with with some ability to identify and look through whether they're making mistakes or not. So let me let me say it. Let me try and say, express it in a little bit better. Um, if you've got skill, it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. You could have skill and make lots of trading mistakes. So, for instance, you could have an edge in the way you identify entries and exits into markets, but you might be trading too big for your account size. So you're making a mistake on on the on um, on your money management, but it doesn't it doesn't take away from the fact that you actually still have skill. So this is very empowering because if you if you can identify that somebody has skill and all and they're effectively a rough diamond, all you need to do is polish up that diamond with um, with insights into where they're making where they're rough, where they're making mistakes. So that 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 is something that Psyquasion will be um, launching, and it's going to be very useful, I believe, for allocators such as yourself and and for traders themselves as well. If they want to see where they're going wrong and do they actually have an edge or not? So uh, watch the space. Uh, I'm I'm very excited about it. I think what we what we've learned over the years has all been buried deep into our subconscious, and and we've been thinking long and hard about this for the last year. How do we how do we make something special and 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 give people deeper insights than they had before? So um, as I say, watch that watch watch that space. And if I can just from my side, just tell you where I think the future, where there, there's some really exciting projects that we're working on. Um, one in particular that comes to mind, just to give you guys a flavor sure. of, of where technology is going and and, and so forth. We're, we're working with a Eastern European wearable device manufacturer, and um, they have manufactured a, a little wristband that – not only detects physiological stress, but it also detects um, psychological stress. And this falls under the banner of behavioral biometrics. And mm. we're very excited. We're going to be running a pilot project for a number of our traders. We'll be issuing them with these bracelets that you, you kind of put them on and you forget about them. That's the idea. And they're very organic to your daily routines. And we will then build up a data emotional profile of of your day and what our hope is is to find some correlation between trading performance and your mood or your psychological state as described by this device so that's exciting we have no idea if it's going to if it's going to work um i'm hopeful a lot of the academic literature speaks towards mood and trader performance but i'm you know i'm of the opinion that it's a one size does not fit all. You can't say that because somebody ha- is stressed that they're going to trade badly. Because take Usain Bolt as an example. I like to use him as an example because, in my opinion, he's just the most supreme athlete. You bring you bring on the stress, he will perform. He's one of those guys who absolutely thrives on stress. So, yeah. you know, you, to say to a, a trader who is thriving on stress that they shouldn't trade today because they're registering a high stress levels. It's very important that our data calibrates each individual. And um, yeah, as I said, one size does not fit all in my humble opinion. And it's the same when we, we look at different behavioral biases 
that exist in in the marketplace. People love to say that the disposition effect is bad for you as a trader. The disposition effect, just so for your listeners, is sure. is that when you when you cut your winners too quickly and you allow your losses to run, logically, that intuitively you would think that's bad. So and it is it is bad um, to let your losses run and cut your winners too soon is bad. But it doesn't mean it's bad for everyone. And I think that's the point. Um, behavioral, the you know, the behavioral economics and the behavioral finance world loves to highlight these biases and just give you a whole blank, ah, this bias is bad for you. Well, yeah. um, it may be bad for most of you, but not everyone. And it's important to try and decipher whether somebody displaying a certain bias is actually at a disadvantage or not. Yeah. I've probably given a, a little bit too much detail, but... No, Michael, that, that, that is absolutely fascinating. It's it's interesting because there was a big change in my personal trading that was quite, um, you know, that is very connected to the wristband biometric stuff you guys are looking into. Basically, I I was finding my, my nu- nutrition that was leading to my mood, that was leading to my stress curve, um, yes. was essentially affecting the, the behaviors that were occurring while I was trading, yes. okay? Particularly when we had fast-moving, volatile markets. Now, yes. I, I actually started recording myself as mm-hmm. I was trading yes. so that when something would happen that I would then go back and look and say, what happened there? You know, this is out of my general trading curve. This is out of what I would normally do, you know, according to my trading plans and my my strategy. And um, I would then look at the footage and see what was going on. And quite often you'd see my eyes moving, you know, you would actually see these stress responses playing out. Now, I found with myself, and this is, I didn't have real hard data, it was more just kind of looking at the way I was trading, but um, I was finding there was a little bit of, of amount of stress, so when there was just enough volatility in the market for me to understand what was going on and, and be able to p- play it out, that was great, but the moment I had more positions that I was normally used to in the market, yes. and the volatility in the market would increase, that would actually lead to a stress curve that was that was too much for me to actually play my edge out in a meaningful yes. way. And I'll tell you what, when that wristband comes up, put, <laughs> put me on the list, Michael, because okay. that's exactly we've, what we've, I would... We've, got uh, our, we've just allocated our first wristband to... Okay. Well, actually, you're behind myself, Dave, and Vlad. So yeah. you're number four. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, man. Honestly, I think that's a fantastic idea. It's um, I think even we're talking almost in the discretionary trader realm, but I really feel you know algos. We haven't even got onto that, but you know algorithmic and um, systematic trading. There's yes. there's always a form of discretionary overlay. The same kind of behavioral biases play out in the people that are managing the algos, that are managing the leverage, that are looking at the yep. market conditions and the context. And I, I honestly think that will be such a, a wonderful complement to the equation live feedback we're getting at the moment. So fantastic stuff. Michael, I'll, I'll just ask you another question here. Um, yes. You know, we're, we're talking about essentially how to improve our trading performance, improve profitability in, in the retail yes. trading space. Um, you then spoke about the allocation business that's looking at allocating yes. to these guys with skill or at least a skill that can be built, right, with the right yes. mentoring and the right systems and uh, biometric feedback. Yes. Um, 
Do you think that the future trading stars are going to be from the retail space? Because essentially we're working here to, you know, um, incubate and, and build yep. these these younger guys so, or, or newer traders. Yeah. So I think there's, a, there's every possibility that you'll find some stars coming from the retail space because essentially what's happened is the the – the trading world has been democratized by the technology advancements in uh, in play at the moment. Basically, you can be trading almost as sophisticated as the guy who's trading for Goldman Sachs with your phone. You know, the, the power on your your phone. You can execute orders with pretty low latency. Yeah. Brokerages come down. You know, especially if you trade in a longer term um, view, and so. The, the, the playing field has been leveled to a large degree. I'm not saying that you've, you know, the 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 the, the bigger guy still has at the moment probably some sort of an advantage in terms of information as to flows going through the marketplace and and all that. Sure. But but um, you know, to answer your question directly, there's there's no reason, in my opinion, why a, a somebody with some computer skills and not, that, not to say that you have to have computer skills, but uh, I think it's an advantage. Yeah. Uh, you can come through the retail ranks, and if you have the right stuff, you will be discovered. So, yeah. it's but it's going to be a journey, and I think you know. We, look, obviously there are four, there are a lot of retail traders, so you've got to play the statistical game here. Um, there are going to be plenty guys who actually have skill. You just never get discovered and you never realize the greatness within themselves. And, you know, they yeah. might forever be based on their own psychology, might be limited to managing a $10,000 account for the rest of their life just simply because they either don't have the drive or they don't have the belief in them in themselves and they actually do have it. So, and, and, and vice versa, you might have the case where you've got – a terrific trader who displays all these skills and has got all the hunger and all the right things, but he just can't find people to believe in him. And, yeah. you know, it could be his destiny. And so, yes, if you look at individuals, there'll always be sad luck stories and, and it won't play out. But I, I honestly believe that it's a pretty level playing field. And um, if you've got the right stuff, on average, I think you'll be discovered. And, and you know, before uh, – and not to say that Psyquasion itself is going to be doing the allocations. We, we want to be a platform that partners with guys like yourselves and others um, who are allocating money. And, you know, we'll be able to hopefully play a part in the journey of people who are currently, let's say, undiscovered or let's call them, um, you know, novice retail traders who, who are, are starting out. And, and we'd love to be a part of the process where we've actually – identified skill, helped nurture it, helped put them in touch with the right people to allocate money to them and essentially turn them into a business that's profitable and, and thriving. And you, I guess, have, have been bitten by the same bug as me, okay. uh, which was many, many years ago, is that to be a, a professional full-time trader, I think, is everyone's dream. Um, you get to do things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do if you were on a job, but with it comes a whole heap of stress. And, and, you know, uh, I think I just must, 
I, I must I must emphasize that because unfortunately people tend to focus on all the glamour and the glitz and, and yeah. forget that it's a very very solitary experience. Is yeah. where everyone is going to go into drawdown. It doesn't matter how good a trader you are, you will be at some stage in drawdown. And it's a question of have you got the right stuff to 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 deal with the fact that you're losing money and in some cases it could be a lot of money and you know when you take the money and you start flashing before your eyes oh i've just lost a lexus i've just lost a house in terms of money yeah um, yeah totally uh, yeah. you 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 can do your head in oh, so it's sure. not for everybody yeah absolutely michael and interestingly you know you, you were talking before um, about the the big players and and the kind of retail space and it's you know I've got an interesting take on this I'm quite optimistic about where retail trading is at the moment and where it's going yeah. because yeah. I think whilst the big players have information on flow and um, and you know I guess in a sense more in insider information in terms of the the major bank flows and things. Yeah. I think the retail, retail trading at the moment, it, it, the transaction costs are lower than they've ever been. Yes. Um, Liquidity is a hell of a lot deeper for the retail guys now. There are more and more yep. honest brokers around, okay, that are that are there to see their traders succeed, okay, and obviously, uh, you know, they're trading, they're partnering with um, businesses like Psyquasion, as an example, you know, to yep. build profitable retail traders or to make them more profitable. So they do have a customer lifetime value with these guys. And I think it's actually an, an amazing time to be trading and, and going through the journey as long as you're sticking to those lifelong um, learnings, you know, not over leveraging, not taking your your winners too early, and all the <laughs> all the key things that you need to learn in the early days before you actually do have the opportunity to, to um, take on bigger allocations and trade larger money and um, and chase the dream, so to speak. <laughs> yes, I'm in full agreement with you. I, I, if I could just say one thing further about Psyquasion, um, the software is free, and while we don't give you an edge, I, I, I'm quite emphatic when I say that in order to make money in the markets, you need to come with your own edge, and that's, you know, you, you need to have done some research or learnt along the way how to trade and um Psyquasion, what it does for you is it's a money management overlay and it's it's like having i call it a robo trading coach it's it's someone there to who's got no ego who's got no vested interest in um telling you to do this or to to try and make you feel uh, to try win an ego argument with you the software is pro it's a it's a, it's a machine and um and it's Simple goal is to make you is to help you make more profits, and really, the the brokers that we've partnered with, we've partnered with fifteen brokers, leading brokers across, you know, across the length and breadth uh, of the land and into Asia and and some some UK brokers, and um, they they are invested. They pay in Psyquasion. Um, there's no cost to the actual trader. It's it's all been worn by the broker, and um, yeah, we you know we, we just want to be a part of the journey. You you got to do a lot of work. Um, you got to do as I said, you got to bring the edge. But we will help you take your edge and and do better. If you don't have an edge, you're going to unfortunately lose money. We can just help you lose less. So um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think for um, you know, my my personal training, Mike, and I think many of the teams we've actually got on board, you know, just gives such great insight into, you know, how the portfolio as a whole and also how the individual trading teams are faring and you know, where the where where the kind of risk points are before they actually occur, which to me is just mm-hmm. invaluable, you know. Um, I guess last question, uh, Michael, and again, thank you so much for, for coming on the show here. But um, Michael Behrman, when's the next collapse? What will be the trigger and uh, where do we get short? <laughs> so, yeah, do you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> I, I, I know it's an old story, um, but, but I think China is a problem. I think there is yeah. serious debt out there that is backed by fake assets assets that don't have the value behind them. Now, can they prop this up for much longer? The answer is yes, for sure. But but there are serious cracks, and uh, I'm not convinced they're going to be able to paper over those cracks. So I'm, I'm worried about China. I think that could be um, a catalyst for, for um, um, uh, let's say, r- a catalyst for some major ripples to probably turn into into more serious stuff but sure. but then you know you've got you've you've got this u.s election that's coming up next week and um the, just the american debt and the, the the way the american government is recklessly printing money there are any number of causes that could be out there the 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 great um and for whatever reason, I've gone absolutely blank. But he speaks about the fragility of the markets, the the, the great economy, Harman Minsky. So, okay, yeah. you know, basically a Minsky moment is where things are fragile and have been fragile for a while. And eventually the, you, you go through different phases and eventually you reach the stage where it, it's a Ponzi and basically it, it cannot sustain itself any further. But what it could take a, a, a tiny little crack but the, the fragility is there and um you know one little one little crack could spark a major so i'm i'm hedging my bets here you can see i'm a hedge fund manager yeah. uh, trader <laughs> by, by nature i'm not giving you anything specific yeah. <laughs> but I, I would be bearish at this very moment yeah i'm 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 with you on that but uh, i think particularly now with particularly with the leverage we're seeing you know and even the even the larger stock exchanges you know the s&p 500 there's just such leverage and how much fundamental value is actually in there you know eventually i think central banks are going to have to stop kicking the can down the road and there could yep. be, I don't necessarily think it's going to be their choice. I think it could be the market talking, saying, right, enough's enough, you know. But, um, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm with you there. Michael, hey, thank you so much. It's it's great to talk to you. We really look forward to seeing you guys, you know, um, continuing to help uh, everyone from traders, investors, money managers, uh, becoming more and more profitable um, as your business grows. So I wish you all the best and, and good luck. For thank you, Jonathan. So that was Michael Berman of fintech company Psyquasion for the Vespa Capital podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Mike. And if you're interested in finding out more about Psyquasion, then go to the link in the show notes and Mike and his team will look after you. If you have any questions you want to put to Mike, uh, you can get in touch with us and we'll put them to him. Just hit us up at VespaCap on Twitter and we'll put you in touch. Say hello to Mike on Twitter also at Mixon. That's M-I-C-K-S-O-N. 
finally, anything that we've made reference to in this interview should be available in the show notes, but if it's not, just get in touch with us at VesperCap again on Twitter or go to Vesper.Capital and get in touch. Thanks for listening, guys, and stay tuned for more from us when we find new, interesting, and often unheard of people in the world of investing to pick the brains of. This has been Lucas Ginello signing off on episode four of the Vesper Capital podcast. Podcast.